You're listening to Scalay Sisters, episode number 66. Welcome to Scalay Sisters, the podcast for the classical homeschooling mama who seeks to learn and grow while she's helping her children learn and grow. Scalay Sisters is a casual conversation about topics that matter to those of us in the trenches of classical homeschooling who yearn for something more than just checking boxes and getting it all done. I'm your host, Brandi Venzel. You can find me at Afterthoughts. That's where you'll find my thoughts on educational philosophy and homeschooling, as well as all my Charlotte Mason stuff. My co-hosts today are Pam Barnhill, Misty Winkler, and Abby Wall. Pam is a speaker, podcaster, blogger at pambarnhill.com, and author of two fabulous books, Better Together, and Plan Your Year. Misty is a second-generation homeschooler with five kids and too many projects. With her blog, podcast, and membership, she helps you organize your attitude so you can organize your life. Find her over at simplyconvivial.com. Abby is basically the queen of the Scully sisters' sistership. Abby is a country-living farmer, rancher, a loving wife, and mom of five who homeschools and reads whenever she can. Speaking of the sistership, the sistership premier Shakespeare mentorship led by Kelly Cumbie, she's guiding us through As You Like It, just began, and it's not too late to join in. If you ever wanted someone to hold your hand through a Shakespeare play, Kelly is your woman. To join us, just go to scolaysisters.com slash sistership and sign up for premier membership. Today, the four of us discuss the Faculty of Friends concept presented by Ravi Jane and Kevin Clark in the new revised edition of the liberal arts tradition, an idea that also appears in Norms of Nobility, Poetic Knowledge, and more. We think you'll find this episode inspiring and encouraging, and so, without further ado, let's get to it. Let's start off with our Scalay every day. Who would like to go first? Anyone? <laughs> oh, and remember, you have to say your name. You have to say, I'm... Hi, I'm, I'm Misty Winkler. There you go. <laughs> we have a volunteer. <laughs> and my Scalay every day is not a book this time around, and not because I'm not reading any. I am actually reading a few books but I'll save those. I, especially, I was reminded by the reading that we did for this episode that not all reading is scolay and that scolay is more than reading, that, you know, it's contemplation and really connecting with big ideas in, you know, more of a non-analytical way, just more of a receptive mode. So I was reminded that really church The church service, the worship service, is one of the most important elements of scolay in our lives. And I'm at least consistent with that scolay, not every day, but (laughs) uh, that totally counts as, you know, the time where we are worshiping and remembering what really matters and reorienting our lives to truth, uh, that that church is where that happens. So that's... Mm. One of the most important ways to school A. That's a good reminder. Mm, now I pick Abby. Well, I just finished two books uh, because I was trying to finish some books because uh, this year with all of my Shakespeare reading, which I am counting. So that up to my numbers, I didn't read as much as I normally do. I think it's mm-hmm. due to, one Shakespeare and two, my kids just are requiring me to um, homeschool more. <laughs> so what? Yeah, <laughs> as they get older, I am just needing. I'm just needing to be available to them more. Right. So it's really cutting into my reading time. <laughs> These um, kids are cramping our style. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I just finished A River Runs Through It, which is technically a novella. And I read it twice Mm. because I loved it so much. And then my homeschool co-op is reading or going to be discussing in January when we get back, The Chosen by Chaim Potok. Mm. And 
it's probably my fifth time reading it. So I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll just go over a few of my favorite quotes and things like that. And um, I don't really re- need to reread it. And then I ended up rereading it because I just love it so much. And I think it goes so well with today's topical discussion. So I'll probably be bringing it up again. But it's about um, Hasidic Jews and Orthodox Jews um, right towards the end of World War II. And they are just finding out about all of the Holocaust. And and it's a lot about the history of like the Zionist movement and Israel becoming... um, a secular state and the divide that that caused between the um, Orthodox and practicing Jews or the observant Jews and the secular Jews. And so it's, it's really neat, but it is such a wonderful book on education in the Hebraic um, model or mode. And it is so inspiring how they studied. So I just, I love it for that. I have never read either of those books. Okay, well, The River Runs Through It is great, and uh, one of the best parts is um, the dad is a Presbyterian minister, and he quotes from the Westminster Catechism in it about how the first question, what is the chief end of man, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, he goes, and that is just the most beautiful answer, and it just, it's it's a beautiful Mm -hmm. book, but it is a lot about fishing, so be forewarned, (laughs) Um, but... It, it is definitely about fishing, but it is a beautiful, beautiful story. And the movie they made a few, I don't know, probably 20 years ago, and Robert Redford directed it, and the movie is, is beautiful as well. So, But I really, really loved the book. Um, and The Chosen actually has a sequel, which is called The Promise. Huh. And that one I haven't read as – I only read it once because it is a much longer book, but it I think it's actually better than The Chosen. So um, – yeah, so three three books. I, I did go over my notes for the promise too because it really and and that's the thing. It really exemplifies discussion and how we implement what we're learning. And hmm. yeah, this is interesting to me. I'm gonna go ahead and go if you don't mind, Pam. Yeah. Uh, my name is Brandy. <laughs> Mine also is the chosen, but this is my first reading. Hmm. And so I'm mm, I might be halfway through the book, but I think I may be more like a third of the way through the book. And it's interesting to hear you talk about what it's about because I'm think I, you're, I feel like you're teaching me what it's about because <laughs> as a first time read, uh, the first couple of chapters can make you assume that it's going to be about some like something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because there's this accident and there's this hospital stay, and so I seriously thought, is this going to be like a conquering your disabilities book? <laughs> You know, um, no, and so and it's not at all. But I mean, the first two chapters, yeah. you mm-hmm. think you're getting into like this health crisis that this boy is going to have to overcome or something. And that's totally not what it's about. So then when it went on and I was like, OK, so that's not what it's about. So I feel like I, I'm still at this point where I'm like, so what is this? What's the plot really about? Like, what's actually the real problem here? What's the you know, what is the plot going to hinge on? Um, and I'm not asking you to tell me. It's just interesting to hear you because I can see that now. I've seen some of the discussions in synagogue time on the Sabbath and those different kinds of things. So I can see what you're saying, um, but I haven't finished the book. So I, I still don't really know what it's about. <laughs> well, I won't. I will try not to give you any spoilers. But um, the like the first part is just the catalyst, right? That accident that happens is just the catalyst right. for the deep and abiding friendship. And that's what the book is about, yeah. is about friendship, which- The friendship? Yes. Okay. I can see that. I mean, I'm at a point where I decided that that's probably what it was, but I didn't know if I was right because I haven't finished. <laughs> but it was interesting to me. Um, I, I believe this is on the AO list for, I don't know, what I was putting together- my son's senior year, I combined some of year 11 and some of year 12. And so I don't know if it's on the list for year 11 or 12. it's probably 11. But anyway, so I grabbed that from the AO list. And when I posted some of my choices online, I had so many people say that book ended up being my son's favorite from his whole education. So it made me excited to read it because so many people made that comment that it was just this life changing book for their boys for whatever reason. So anyway, Pam, would you like to go? Sure. I am reading the Odyssey. Ooh. I won't say it's the first time I've ever read it. It may be the first time I've ever read the adult version. (laughs) 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 I'm trying to remember if I ever read it 
you know, eons ago when I was young. Right. I, I'm, I'm fairly certain I didn't read it in college. Hmm. So anyway, I can't remember ever reading it before. But then, you know, we read the children's Homer and uh, we did the Mary Pope Osborne version of uh, the travels of Odysseus, hmm. which I think leaves out a lot of the wraparound uh, stories from the middle section. But I'm, I'm reading it now for Angelina's class and mm-hmm. reading it all the way through. And I'm reading the Emily Wilson version. No, I haven't read that no. one. I have that. Yeah. So I'm reading that one, even though Angelina uh, recommended we get, I guess it was Fagels. But mm-hmm. when I was in uh, Columbus this summer, Dawn took me to the bookstore there, the big big, huge bookstore in Columbus. I can't remember the name of it right now. And that was, it was like sitting outside on the table. It was Mm. a special, you know, and so it was super inexpensive and it's so pretty. And so I picked up that one and said, I'm going to read this one. And it's kind of cool. It's in iambic pentameter, which is really neat. Oh, that is why I wanted to buy a copy because I had Fagels. Everyone says Fagels is the best or whatever, but I heard an interview with her. I think maybe Cersei interviewed her. She was on some podcast. She talked about fitting everything into the poetic form and why that was important. And I just was like, oh, I need this one. Yeah, it's it's been very, very readable. Now, a few days ago, so I'm reading this for uh, Angelina and I think I have to have, I don't know what chapter I have to have through by the time we start back next week. But my book club is also reading it. They did me a favor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They occasionally pick up books that I'm doing for my class. So I don't have to double read. We're meeting next week, I guess. And so I'm reading ahead now to uh, try to get done before book club. And then I'll just be caught up and can read something else for my literature class. So over Christmas, I got behind and I was like, well, let me let me see if I can maybe pick up the audio book. Cause you know, by the end of the month, we didn't have an audible credit and I was going back and forth with you own the book. Do you really want to spend the money to get the audio book? You know? Right. And so I was looking around to see if I could find just any cheaper version of the audio book that I could listen to sometimes while I was walking just to kind of do double duty, you know? Mm-hmm. And apparently Fitzgerald, that version is supposed to be like, really poetic and really good as well that's the one that I've read I really like that I haven't read Fangles I know that's what people usually recommend but yeah I like Fitzgerald there um if if you Fitzgerald is actually there's an audio version I ended up not buying an audio book I'm like okay put on your big girl pants and just you know sit down (laughs) and make a goal read every day um instead of spending this money or an audible credit that I'm sure some child would like to use on uh something else but when I was looking, Dan Stevens actually does an audiobook version of the Fitzgerald, which I was like, well, Matthew Crowley's going to read me the Odyssey. It's not going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think uh, the Emily Wilson version, Claire Danes, I think yes. does. Oh. I, I do have that one on audio. I haven't started it yet, but yeah. I've heard good things. Yeah. Both of those got really good reviews. I don't know wh- who does the Fagels audiobook. But- It's not a, I think it's an older one and it's not a great, like it's kind of scratchy. Okay. I don't know. Hmm. I think when I listened to it, I was like, well, I think the new updated one sounds a lot better. So. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that one you can get that audible audio book you can get for $8. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. It's nobody I know. I'm not saying he's not good. It's just nobody I've heard of. Yeah. So, you know, I don't usually do. Okay. I never, I never do audiobooks. (laughs) My kids have some books on tape <laughs> from like <laughs> 1987 um, that are still work well. For so, you millennial moms out there, yeah. those are cassettes. Right. They're square. <laughs> they're kind of a rectangular shape. <laughs> <laughs> Two holes of tape. Um, so I got this new car and it will talk to my iPod. I mean, I haven't figured out how to make it do that, but technically it does do that or is capable. So I, I kind of felt like, oh, maybe maybe we could try that. <laughs> so that one by Claire Dane sounds pretty good. Maybe that'll be our first venture into real audiobooks, real modern audiobooks. Um, okay. We are discussing today the faculty of friends concept, which is not a new concept, but I love the way that it is phrased in the new edition of the liberal arts traditions. So this, this is one of those sections that did not appear in the first edition. 
that in the revised edition of the liberal arts tradition, we are mainly referencing pages 243 to 248. I'm going to read a quote to start us off. And this is from page 244, middle paragraph. They say, as John Sr. has taught, a school is a faculty of friends who love the truth. This is reminiscent of what we earlier noted in Plato's seventh letter, which says, after much converse and a life lived together, suddenly a light, as it were, is kindled in one soul by a flame that leaps to it from another. In the context of seeking the truth together and much dialogue, the members of the faculty begin to have conversations that are electric, conversations that they enjoy among themselves. The power of these conversations and this community is the real power of the school. I'm just going to stop there. I think this concept is in, is it in Hicks's book too? Yes. Oh, he calls it something else. Anyway, for me, that was such a compelling thing that I brought away from Hicks's book, you know, like 10, 12 years ago when I first read it. But what I will say is I think as a homeschooling mom, sometimes that can feel like discouragement. I don't have a school and there's no faculty. There's just me. So what I really am hoping that we do in this discussion is talk about, yes, what it is. In fact, I want to invite one of you to explain the IHP from Kansas State, the Integrated Humanities Program, because I know that they're referencing that as well in this section. But I hope that we can talk about how this kind of a thing can be applicable to the homeschooling, accessible to the homeschooling mom. So is it Pam? Are you the one that I feel like explains the IHP really well? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Okay. Congratulations. You won the lottery. <laughs> Who gets to describe this thing? So take it away. Okay. So it was the Pearson Integrated Humanities Program, uh, and it was in the Ooh. 70s. It started in like 1970 at the University of Kansas. And John Sr., who wrote, oh, Christian culture. He has uh, the restoration of Christian culture, and the other one is the death of Christian culture. So obviously, yeah. So like yeah, death of death, Christian yes, culture came first. It was him and a couple of other people, Dennis Quinn and Frank Neelick. And so these were all college professors. They started this program and the idea was that they were going to teach the great books. They were going to teach the classics all the way up through the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. And then James Taylor was one of their students, Brandy, poetic knowledge. Mm -hmm. They would also, it was a poetic mode of teaching. They would also get the students together, like college students for like poetry memorization, singing folk songs, waltzing lessons, astronomy was really big. All of the students learned italic calligraphy. That was all part mm. of, of what they did. So it was an extremely successful program. They got all these kids in there and they started doing the program and it was just wildly successful. They were learning so many things and they were shut down because so many of the students became Christian. Of course. <laughs> and so, so many of these students converted to Christianity and they thought that they must be indoctrinating them. And so they shut them down for indoctrination, that they were proselytizing. So oh my, they had a huge investigation. The committees, it said uh, that there was like no evidence that they were actually doing this, but they still shut down the program anyway. So it only lasted about nine years. And some of the greatest Catholic thinkers of our time, bishops and people who started monasteries and things like that, mm -hmm. came out of this program. That's really interesting. I knew Taylor. In fact, hmm. that's why I couldn't remember if it was also in Hicks's book because, you know, I'm a Taylor fan. Not that I'm not a Hicks fan. Anyway, I, I had only recently heard why they were shut down. Yeah, because in Poetic Knowledge, I don't think it goes into that. No, he so doesn't. That's an interesting... Uh, yeah which I've wanted to read Dennis Quinn's book for a long time, but it's like $700. Oh, so, wow. you know, saving up. <laughs> um, but anyway, what Kevin Clark and Robbie Jane are getting into in this section really hinges on dialogue. And Pam, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that their primary, like they didn't do lecture style. They did dialogue style when they were formally teaching. Yes. Yes. So what they would do is they would get together the three of them in the lecture hall and they would have a conversation between themselves. And I can't remember if the kids were allowed to take and kids, college students, 
if they were allowed to take notes? For no, they were reason, not. Okay, yeah. So I have the quote right here. It received the traditional receptive attitude of the students attending lectures, but they were not allowed to take notes. They had to listen. And in fact, these twice a week, hour and 20 minute meetings were not lectures at all, but rather conversation between the three professors, one from classics and two from English who had come to know one another through their shared ideas of education and had become friends. Yeah. Mm. And they were by design unrehearsed and spontaneous, simply begun by taking up some moment of the Odyssey or from Herodotus or the Republic that interested one of the teachers and exploring it with anecdotes, stories, connections, and other readings, and it following it wherever it took them. Kind of like a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not like, we're not like at that level, but you know, kind of like a podcast. (laughs) I would listen to that podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I wish those had been recorded. Wouldn't that be amazing? Um, Oh yeah, it surely would. But yeah, and they weren't allowed to ask questions either. My understanding, and I I can't remember where I'm getting this from. Like, so we talked about it on that particular podcast with Robbie. And so then I like, there's not a lot of information out there. I need to get poetic knowledge and read it. But there's not a lot of information on the program out there, uh, like the program itself. I can't remember where I'm pulling this from, and I could be in error. But my understanding is they weren't allowed to question either until they had reached a point where they could then enter into the conversation. Yes. Now and then the teachers would acknowledge directly the presence of nearly 200 students in the hall. But for the most part, the experience was one of listening and watching a real conversation take place. What are you quoting from? The Poetic Knowledge. Oh, by James Taylor. Yeah. I pulled it out because you guys said we were going to do that. And I wasn't. I did not remember that section at all. Well, it's towards the end. I I had to skip ahead because I'm not that far. I'm only on page like 40 where I was, but I needed to since we were going to be talking about this, I read the chapter uh, about the integrated humanities program. So. Oh, see, now I am going to have to buy a book. Yeah. Go ahead and get it, put it on my list. See, you'll make it a real episode. (laughs) But, but yeah, and it's the poetic, you know, they were the intention of the professors not to talk about teaching in the poetic mode, but actually to do it. So yeah, it was, One of the recurring themes of the IHP was that life was not fun, but it was certainly often funny. So there was Mm. always laughter in the classroom too, which I thought was such a great point. Mm. And it goes towards, you know, levity and laughing well, all those things. Right. You know, that's, we've been talking with kids lately about asking questions during movies. Stop. The movie will most likely answer your question. Quit interrupting everybody's train of thought. Um, and so one of the things that my husband and I were talking about was how often we think our questions are so important. And yet sometimes that it means it's almost like we're not open to following someone else's train of thought. Not that our questions, not that it's wrong for us to ask questions or, or for our kids to ask questions or anything, but it is interesting that they had to have the discipline of submitting themselves to someone else's train of thought. Mm-hmm. Okay. So to me, I'm listening to this and I'm saying, well, I'm never going to teach that way because I mean, not even because I don't want to, because I'm the only teacher. So then I'm reading Clark and Jane's book. What does this have to do with me? Sounds very inspiring, but you know, they're saying the power of these conversations and this community is the real power of the school. And yeah, I don't run a school. I run a homeschool, but it makes me feel like I'm at a disadvantage in some way. So why would we want to talk about this if None of us or most of us aren't going to attain to that. I I don't think we are at a disadvantage. I think it's just going to look different. We are a part of a co-op and for years, the moms have been reading really great books and then discussing them. Now, the kids aren't always a part of that, but we also have formed friendships outside of that. And my kids often will sit in on discussions when a few of us get together and we're discussing books and they'll just listen. And I, we've even told them. So it was so funny that I, we were reading this because I was like, oh yeah, my kids do that too. Now they may not stay the whole time and they don't, you know, they're not, you know, hanging on bated breath here <laughs> <laughs> at, these, at these things. But, you know, I have some kids that will, you know, like to air their opinions. And I was like, actually, we're having a discussion right now and you just can listen, <laughs> but you can't participate. 
Um, this is my friend. This is my play date. If you want to go play with your friend, do that. But this is my time. I think that, Misty, what you said earlier about how church is part of Skolé and that restful thing. And I was thinking about how we have the Eucharist, right? We have the wine and the bread, the body and the blood and things like that. And that's part of the communion, right? But that extends to the fellowship and things like that. In my church, we have a weekly potluck. You know, we don't always attend, but it's an extension of that, right? This, this feeding and friendship and these great conversations that are happening within our church communities and things like that, where we're all children and adults and grandparents and different things are all having these meals and conversations. And I think that the dinner time is actually a place where some of this faculty of friends is happening. Maybe it doesn't look just like this, obviously. We're not in university setting, but I think I think we can get glimpses of it. I don't think it has to look the same. Hmm. Well, and I think the benefit that we get to leverage as homeschoolers is making this a whole life connected thing where it's not, we aren't bound by school walls and school hours. We want our learning and all of this to extend naturally and organically in our lives. That includes this faculty of friends. So yeah, regular family dinner conversation. That's a time and a place that we can leverage as well as having friends over, whether that's just mom play date where we have conversations or even having other people over for dinner where there's going to be interesting dinner conversation and the kids can sit there and listen and it's really good for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that when we had uh, started talking about this, Misty, and I thought, well, that's a fabulous way to kind of bring some of this into your homeschool. It's to have interesting people who have knowledge about things in and, and have these conversations with them. And, and your kids can totally listen in on that. I think one of the things that struck me as we first started talking about it, you know, first there's this great disappointment. Oh, I'm never going to be able to give my kids anything like this, you know. Hmm. And then you have to remember, it's one way to teach and it's one way to learn. It's a very good way. It sounds like, sounds like a wonderful way. I mean, I would just love to learn by listening in on fascinating conversations. But it's not the only way. I mean, you know, Jesus never did this. <laughs> <laughs> he was the only Amen. one talking and everybody else was listening, you know, so, uh, you know, and then Socrates did, you know, the whole Socratic method and his questioning technique. So it's one method of teaching. And so I think the big thing is we don't look at this and go, oh, look, this was so wonderful. And we're never going to be able to give our kids this. We hmm. don't fall into despair over it. But figuring out like little ways we can do bits and pieces of it to the whole yeah. is a better way to look at it. One thing that definitely applies to us, what would be the benefit of having this kind of friendship or these kinds of relationships, even if your kids aren't present? For example, my book club happens at night and I leave my kids at home and I go somewhere. So my kids don't ever see it. They have no clue what goes on in book club. Why would that be beneficial to a homeschool mom directly to the homeschool and to the children? I thought it was interesting on 245, they write the curriculum must include within it those things, books, and concrete and mysterious realities that are loved by the faculty of friends. Thus, no two schools, each having unique faculties, will ever have the exact same curriculum. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about how, in the context of book club, we'll get into a conversation that has direct impact on maybe not everyone's curriculum on the same exact night, but I have changed things. I've added or subtracted books or whatever based upon a conversation that I know other ladies have as well where it's changing how we think about something and it's changing our love or making us braver to do something that we love. And it does have a direct impact on the homeschool, even though those other ladies aren't for the most part. I mean, we do have some co-op people in there, but for the most part, they're not directly teaching my kids, but it still makes a difference that we had the, that we read the thing together, that we discussed it, that we had the conversation. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And it also gives us practice in having conversations, yes. which we need. But I also think that this idea reminds us that it's not just conversations about educational philosophy that we need. No, We need to be more broad and more interested than just having conversations about how to homeschool and how to educate. 
these are cross-discipline conversations. You know, I think it's easy to start thinking, well, my husband never wants to have a conversation about education, so we can't do this. And it's like, well, how about you have a conversation about World War II or, you know, whatever politics, you know, whatever it is he's interested in. That's actually closer to what they're talking about here than the book club studying, you know, Charlotte Mason, for example. What? What are you talking about? Uh, well, and the other thing, the other thing that concerns me not to be a killjoy here is these guys were these guys having the conversation were knowledgeable, right, yeah. on what they were talking about. So I think if if we say, well, we're just going to sit down and have a conversation about something, you know, physics, for example, well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not going to uh, work. You got to right. you got to have people who are knowledgeable about what they're talking about. Which I think gets us back to what the dinner time, like inviting the interesting, knowledgeable people to dinner. Yeah. Like I, my dad invited, I remember, goodness, we had a psychologist and I, I don't mean like just a run of the mill psychologist. He was like the assistant to Maslow. Like he was the student assistant oh. to Abraham Maslow. So this guy came and had dinner with us and talked to us about things. <laughs> and, and he had like a astro physicist or whatever, come over and talk to us. The guy was a Christian, but he also worked in physics and he talked to us about multidimensionality and about how that could change your theology of like what you think is possible. And therefore what you think is possible for God, like not being limited by the create. Anyway, the point is we had these like super interesting people come over. Well, my parents would never have been capable of those conversations, right? Because they didn't have that kind of training, but they were capable of inviting someone over and letting them talk. Mm-hmm. And I have never done this. It's like a part of my childhood that I really value, but I've never, I've never really even had the opportunity to do it, but I can see how it was really formative, at least for me. I've never talked to my sister about it, but you're right. You know, I was even thinking like our weekly Bible study is another example hmm. where this kind of thing can happen. And actually our kids are allowed to sit in on it and they mostly, mostly just listen, mm-hmm. but you know, we either discuss a book or discuss the sermon series. And if we alternate, half the year is the sermon series and half the year we pick a book to study. And the kids are allowed to sit in on that and participate if they want to, I suppose, but they never do. They just sit in the back and are quiet. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I think sometimes some of the grown-ups feel like, oh, if they're sitting here, you know, they should say something. But, you know, the reality is they have nothing to say. <laughs> and it's... <laughs> wonderful for them to just sit there and listen. And that's exactly what, what they should be doing. And it's great that they're, they're willing to sit there with their apple cider and just listen to adults have conversation. True. But we do tend as a society to assume that kids should not be around just listening. Like that's awkward. And it is sometimes not actually feasible. We do have people over for dinner and sometimes we're all sitting around the table together. And the kids can listen to the conversation, but sometimes there are just too many children for that to be physically possible. So it's not like every single dinner, family dinner, or every single time we have someone over or every single book club has to be for this purpose. This is just one purpose and one thing where we could think, oh, we could do that here and there. It's not like, okay, now we have to be doing this all the time. You know, so I, th- I think another way that this could be done, you would just have to find people who were doing it or uh, talk people into doing it <laughs> is uh, via video or online lesson. Hmm. You know, it would be really interesting like to find your sisters. Um, <laughs> no, not find your sisters. <laughs> I- I'm going back to this idea of there are people who know things and I would like to listen in on their conversation. <laughs> yeah. You know, not that, not that we don't know things we do, but the things I want to learn about are not necessarily things that I know. That was profound. Right. I should write that down. <laughs> I'm making a quote graphic right now. <laughs> For example, I'm just going to go back because I'm, I'm learning from Angelina a lot this year. How fascinating would it be if we could convince her instead of like speaking directly to the camera and lecturing us, not that what she's doing anything wrong. I mean, I love her classes, but instead, why don't you mm-hmm. and Thomas sit there and have a conversation and just allow us to listen in on it? You know, mm. that's the kind of thing. And, and it goes back to podcasts. I think there are, 
you can find podcasts where, you know, this is happening. This, mm-hmm. this kind of worthy conversation is going on Yeah, that you can yes. kind of listen in yeah. on. Christian podcasts that I listen to, both Pints with Aquinas and Mortification of Spin, both of them, my favorite episodes are ones where they invite on someone who is a theologian or has some sort of specific area of specialty in the faith. And then the hosts are knowledgeable enough. They might not be experts in that exact area, but they're knowledgeable enough to have a really good conversation with that person and ask good questions. And the result is, I would assume, pretty similar, really. I mean, you're listening to this back and forth and the expert is often taking the lead. So you really are getting some good information, good pieces of knowledge from listening to it. But I bet it is. I would think, I would think that that's probably how we come closest to it. It's just a matter of seeking out those situations where, where that's happening. Which means our kids can have that because we can listen to that in the cars for driving to the doctor or the grocery store or yeah. whatever, really. One other thing from poetic knowledge and I have it highlighted here is it was talking about that the IHP, they knew that their students were so reliving their childhood when they were teaching in this poetic knowledge, this rediscovery of their childhood, which for many of them had been unfulfilled, was of great importance in the two-year program. The professors knew that a materialist society with all its utilitarian goals that suffocate the poetic nature of the human being had rushed many of the students through childhood. That time of leisure in which the wonders of reality are encountered simply as wonders. As this entire study has demonstrated, there can be no real advancement in knowledge unless it first begins in leisure and wonder, where the controlling motive throughout remains to be delight and love. And without the reconnection of, with their childhood to the appropriate emotions, the students would not be teachable. I just loved that part because in our society, you know, probably not in homeschools, because I think kids get to be kids a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how they used Aesop's and all these wonderful timeless stories in that respect. So I know that that was not what we were talking about. But when I read Poetic Knowledge, what I, one of the things I really came away with was they had to do this in college because childhood was not properly done for these students. And that if we could do childhood well then college would be able to build on that, which is how it's supposed to be, right? You're supposed to be moving on. You're not supposed to need to read Pinocchio in college. You should have already read Pinocchio and experienced it. So I think that the IHP teaches us that we can, there are things that we can do with children that make something like the IHP almost unnecessary. In the yeah, sense. I think that they were using that technique because it's appropriate in childhood for children to eavesdrop on adult conversation. Like that's normal, natural, that should be happening. And so if that is happening normally and naturally in our home, like that's what we should be looking at. Is there adult conversation happening? And it's appropriate for children to eavesdrop. Mm -hmm. And that's a good way for them to learn. And then in the faculty of friends, the part that I liked in liberal arts tradition was saying, The point here is to bring them up to be able to participate in these conversations. So as they get older, and if they have been listening in and learning from these conversations and reading broadly, it's time for them to practice this as well. So conversation, treating them as friends and learning alongside of them is another like they can be the friends that we're having conversations with too. And that's actually the goal. Well, and it's happening, right? I, I mean, with my oldest, I have, I mean, with all my kids, I have enjoyable conversations, but he's really, he's taking Angelina's class and we talk about that. He's reading other things and it's, it's so much fun mm-hmm. to have these conversations with my kids as they're getting older. It is. It's one of the rewards of homeschooling high school for sure. Yeah. Yes. I totally agree. I did find the quote here that a key goal of a faculty of friends then is to teach others how to participate in the conversation with the insight and nuance described above. I once heard it said that the goal of a teacher is to help shape the students into those he would be proud to have as friends once adults. And that's, that's a good reminder, Misty, what you said. I think because when my children were little, 
I don't know. There were some conversations that I felt like they shouldn't hear. For example, if I had a friend that was talking about her children where those children were their friends and they didn't need to overhear things that were said about problems, disciplining their own friends or whatever. But then I think it became my habit to be like, the adults are talking, go do something. Even when that wasn't need, needing to happen, <laughs> it was more for my own convenience, right? right? Or whatever. Anyway, and listening to you, I thought, oh, it's just being comfortable with someone looking over. I mean, I, sometimes to me, it feels like the equivalent of someone looking over your shoulder when you're reading a book and you're like, can you please stop? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, really trying to get comfortable with the eavesdropping. I mean, as long as they're trained not to constantly interrupt, but that's what they were doing, right? They weren't supposed to take notes. They weren't supposed to raise their hands. They were So the adults were talking <laughs> and the students were overhearing and it was set up in such a way that that was done in a really healthy way. I have my mind kind of a whirl about how to pull this off because you're talking really, I mean, they can overhear conversations that are podcasts. Yes. But between mom and dad or between dad and his friends or between mom and his friends or a couple friends or what, I mean, like there's actually probably a lot of opportunities when we start thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, it makes it obvious that manners training is essential or this can't be pulled off because I have been in conversations with friends or, you know, other adults where the children not only interrupt, but are even given priority in the conversation, like as if whatever they have to say, even if it's off topic or, you know, just silly is allowed to interrupt the grown-up conversation. And that's not how my husband or I were raised. So it seems right. really awkward and awful to us. <laughs> I personally hid behind couches and under the tables when my parents were having con- interesting conversations. <laughs> <laughs> I have a daughter who does that as well. Sometimes I'm like, oh, get out of here. She likes to know things. She likes to be in the know. <laughs> Okay, but I'm going to go back to this is not just every conversation. So it's kind of like, you know, Brandy yeah. was talking about earlier. Misty says, not all reading is scolé. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> not all conversations are, you know, the kind of, com- these, these, these kind kind. of conversations. Right. These right. are yes. very specific. Yes. Yeah. These are very specific kinds of conversations done purposefully, even though, you know, I imagine that it's probably interesting you fall into these conversations without necessarily meaning to, uh, you know, with your spouse or something. We have that situation arise sometimes where, you know, we don't mean to get up and talk about just war, but we end up having this long conversation. <laughs> <about it or> <laughs> something. <laughs> so, but it, it's not every conversation you're having. Right. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. I had pulled up, I had pulled up a couple articles when Brandy asked me to summarize what the IHP was. And I want to go back a little bit. It said, um, there's a quote from one of these articles uh, from Quinn. And he says, the quote says, while some Catholic grade school and homeschool curriculums have tried to incorporate facets of the program, often intermingling the educational philosophy with the great books approach, none, they believe, has recreated the program's atmosphere of wonder that proved so fertile for uncovering truth. Hmm. So we're kind of focusing on the faculty of friends idea here, but like Abby was talking about earlier, that wonder thing was such a huge part of what they felt like made the program successful. Not just the lectures that these kids were going to, but the stargazing and the dancing and the poetry and memorizing poetry. They memorized a lot of poetry and other things like that. So all of those things we can do. That's true. That's a very Charlotte Mason concept too. The idea that the teacher is cultivating her own interest in the world around her, that what does Charlotte Mason call it? The fullness of living, right? And the idea that if, if you don't have fullness of living, you know, you can be well-trained and you can have read the books, but you're not going to be able to pass it on because it's actually, it's a quality of who you are as a person, not just something that you do or something that you've read or something that you've learned. And it's very much evident in liberal arts tradition in that first section, them talking about that musical education in the beginning of that book, that being the foundation for the trivium. We've got to have this first before we can move on into the liberal arts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was thinking too, that 
it's not this systematic formulaic paint by number set of things, right? It is very classical in its approach, right? It is reading, discussing, thinking about things, observing, but it's not necessarily memorizing dates on a timeline or, you know, rote memorization of things like, yes, that can be part of it. But what was interesting to me is that they never looked at a poem to read, to memorize. Other students had to teach them, Hmm. which I thought was just, and the songs and the waltzes and things like that, like how they were taught was by doing this poetry and not by analyzing or things like that, but it was by the practice. I thought that was just so interesting. And what a neat situation that, you know, maybe we couldn't, that would be hard to recreate is like this huge cohort of people who are second years teaching the first years how to do these songs and things like that. Hmm. So anyway, it's interesting. You know, that kind of reminds me of how in a larger family, you'll actually get that some of that effect of like kids passing down things to other kids. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I see that mainly with handicrafts. Some older kid knows how to do something and some younger kid wants to know how to do it. And they all know they shouldn't wait for me to teach them. And so, (laughs) I mean, I try, but we all know. I wonder if that's another cultural thing that we could encourage in our homeschools is kids who know things to teach, you know, because you've got different kids that run off in certain subject areas Mm -hmm. on their own because they're just, they naturally take to it like a fish to water. Right. And so they're good at a language or they're good at a craft or they're good at whatever and encouraging them to pass it down. I could see that being a helpful thing. And builds that family culture of wonder and because it, because it's based on the excitement of that person. Well, and I was just thinking how morning time is so much of poetic knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, right? Mm-hmm. It is, I mean, Pam, you probably, you, might know, you know all about this, right? <laughs> yeah, you might know this, Pam, but right, like this is... <laughs> Sorry, Pam. <laughs> That's amazing. I've never made that connection. It's like you, it's, it's like you wrote a book on this <laughs> about this very thing, but it is. It's that poetic knowledge. It's it's those beautiful things, and we're learning them together, right? Because also, Pam, you might know this, but it's better together. <laughs> <laughs> Pam also sells morning time plans, and you can get them that. <laughs> Sorry. Shameless plug. This is a big advertisement. Why did it take us so long to get her on here? Oh, goodness. But I think, and this is very true. I mean, this can all very organically be done in morning time, but it's, I don't know. They weren't analyzing the poem. They were memorizing the poems. Everybody was doing it together. And I think that's what, you know, when they studied astronomy, they, they went out and wondered at the stars. They didn't get the textbook and open it up and, you know. Yep. Uh, or maybe they and they learned the mythology yes, of it too of yeah. how the stories and I loved that. Yeah. So it wasn't about you know it's like oh we're going to teach them all astronomy. <laughs> it's not like we're opening an astronomy book and going through it. They learned the wonder of it, and so I think that's very important. Like if somebody's like okay, well I'm going to do all of this stuff with my kids, you know, don't go buy an astronomy curriculum. Walk outside and look at the stars and learn the stories behind it and things like that. Mm-hmm. And be prepared to experience it. That was a big part of it. It was the actual experience in and of itself, right? Similar to what we talked about in festivity, right? It's the experience of it. It's not necessarily all the planning and every preparation, but it's actually going and doing. Yeah. All right. So how are we going to wrap all this up? Well, I think that we should think about the conversations that we have and the conversations that our kids have access to listening to and just try to find ways to make it happen naturally and organically to invite someone over for dinner to listen to a particular podcast in the car and tell the kids no they have to be quiet and just listen to it because it's interesting Mm -hmm. (laughs) to become interested ourselves in the topics that other people are interested in so that we can be conversational companions and make these conversations happen to get, again, not get siloed into only educational philosophy or only some kind of pet topic, but to be interested in all of living and all of life and to ask questions, like to be a model student in those conversations and to ask good questions of someone who is knowledgeable or interested or has something to say. 
And to realize that real learning can come out of just having a conversation with somebody. It doesn't have to be opening a textbook or buying a curriculum or anything like that, that that's a very valid form mm-hmm. of teaching and learning. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I think to help with that reading widely so that we can make our own connections to these things, right? That was a big part of it is they, you know, would follow their bird trails because they had all of these other, the science of relations, making our own connections and reading widely, like in the five by five challenge. (laughs) I was just thinking that. (laughs) Really? Seeing the five by five challenge as an opportunity to expand your reading horizons, to expand the things that you're interested in. Because if you feel like you're not interested in something, but you buy a really good book on it, lots of times that will change. Mm -hmm. That wide reading, well, what is that? Like the education of the Christian prince, right? That one of the things that prepares you for is the ability to talk to anyone. Yes. So the wide reading will enhance your conversational abilities too. Yeah. Because you have more to draw on in more Mm -hmm. subject areas. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's great. <laughs> any final quotes or anything to share or any more practical tips before we head on out? I think have someone interesting over for dinner. Agreed. Tell your kids to sit there and be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But don't hurt their feelings. I totally hurt their feelings. <laughs> what do feelings have to do with it? <laughs> See, I'm just saying it for all those people out there who listen to the Scolay sisters and think you're heartless, but you're on. <laughs> well, thank you guys for coming and having this wonderful conversation. <laughs> Have a good rest of your day. Thanks. Bye, Bye Brandy. Happy everyone. everyone. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the sisterhood of the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss any of the episodes coming out this season, including the special bonus episode coming up real soon. Every Skolay Sisters episode has a Skolay sheet, and this episode is no exception. At Skolay Sisters, we want to be people who apply what we learn rather than just listening and then forgetting. Skolay Sheets are individual journal pages designed to help you apply the ideas from the episode. Download your Skolay Sheet for free from our show notes at skolaysisters.com slash SS66. Don't forget that the Sistership Premier Shakespeare Mentorship with Kelly Cumbie is kicking off now. Go to skolaysisters.com slash sistership and select Premier to sign up. Next episode, Abby and I are discussing proper motivation in learning with the one and only Karen Glass. This is an episode you do not want to miss. Until then, we want to remind you once again that homeschooling is a marathon you needn't run alone. So open up your eyes and look around you. Find your sisters. I'm just sitting over here, you know, regulating my breath from my nice long run, Pam. I'm joking. She's doing yoga during this conversation. It was really a short, short, quick, yeah, movement. You know, we're like 40 minutes in and haven't started on our topic of discussion. (laughs) So I think we should start. All of a sudden, I stopped being able to hear you guys. Well, we Uh, just weren't talking. Yeah.